can we please go one week without somebody in the Pac-12 saying something insane? Michael Crow, ASU's president, had some interesting comments about Larry Scott. The NCAA is lobbying against paying players. Colorado's coaching search. Will they become a national power again? The ACC has it right. ASU is making recruiting power moves. And the NCAA tournament March Madness is upon us. Which Pac-12 teams will make it in? I'm George Reister with Ralph Amson, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you, thank you. If you have a question, comment, anything, send it to imad, I-M-M-A-D, at unafraidshow.com or hit him up at Twitter, at Ralph Amsden, or me up at Twitter, at George Reister. Leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you share it with a friend. Now let's get to the show. Ralph, Colorado, it's interesting because it's almost like we saw this coming with Mel Tucker leaving to Michigan State because our pod, last week's podcast, we were talking about coaches and money and all of that and coaches being able to be poached by other conferences because of the financial, we called it a crisis. Everybody else calls it a crisis. Some people, eh, they're on the fence, weirdos. But our podcast, without even saying that Mel Tucker took the job, was not stale. How did that happen, Ralph? <laughs> oh man, I don't want to talk about it. Can we talk about literally anything else? Anything else? I mean, this is it. We saw it coming. We made mention of it, and then it came to fruition. And it just feels inevitable at this point. Can we talk about? Can we talk about President's Day? <laughs> like <laughs> literally anything but Mel Tucker leaving because it's. It's depressing. Let's talk about the, the the ribs that you made yesterday. I saw those on Instagram. Those look good. That's that. There's nothing <laughs> depressing about those ribs. <laughs> they were they were quite fantastic. I actually, made two different flavors. Made salt, pepper, garlic, salt rub, and then a uh, a paprika brown sugar rub. They were actually very good. I had when I saw that I had two reactions. The first one was, "All right, I'm hungry now. I'm trying to come to the cookout." And second. I almost unfollowed you because it's like, man, I'm supposed to be a grown man and I don't think I can, I, I, that, that, that's not part of my uh, repertoire and skill set. And, and it was making me feel like a, a giant failure. But that's the whole point of social media, right? To make, uh, to make <laughs> you feel like other people have more than you, just like the freaking Big Ten has <laughs> over the Pac-12. The Pac-12 needs to unfollow the Big Ten on Instagram. Um I just that so much money for Mel Tucker. Good for him. Right. I mean, I poked a little fun at him on his way out the door. Got a couple of messages from current and former Michigan state players that were like, come on, man. <laughs> like, do you have to do that? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's it, because it's funny. If, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. You know, he got what over 6 million annually just for his assistance alone. And, and that was one of the things that I tweeted out is, you know, people talk about, uh, he's disloyal and maybe to some people, but to the people that he's going to help out with that giant pool 
for his assistant coaches, I mean, that that's probably showing some extreme loyalty. Yeah. And that and j- just so everybody understands his assistant coaches, his assistant coach pool is bigger than his salary. And when you look at college coaches, assistant pools, $6 million is a lot. You only have to hire 10 coaches with $6 million. That means you can spend, and your coordinator, your two coordinators are obviously going to be your two highest paid. You can go well over a million dollars. You can go 1.5 for each of them and still have $3 million left for eight people, which is, you know, you you know, that, what, what is that? Another, you know, 400,000 a pop at least like, dude, you can hire big time assistants for with a six million dollar pool and there were some people that said to me ralph they were like oh oh he's a snake he didn't allow colorado to match i was like there was no point what colorado couldn't match yeah and i so i ran into uh brendan rice this week one of their prize recruits and I, i i talked with him for a while and he said you know the whole process was pretty eye opening for him uh, because he he was like, I didn't know, you know, that Colorado couldn't match. And I was like, you know what, Brendan, they probably could have matched his salary. Like they they probably could have taken the time to figure out what it would take to match that salary. Um, it would have been difficult, but they they probably could have been able to do that. But that that six point four million for assistance. You know, which was he—he he hadn't even. You know, he's as close to the situation as you can possibly be, and he hadn't even heard that that was, you know, something that that was taken into consideration. You know, he was thinking that it was just the money that Mel Tucker was getting, and I was like, "No, man, you—you're you, talking like giant, giant, giant pool of money just for your assistant coaches." And I, 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 he also told me he's like, man, he he hopes that Coach uh, Chivarini or or Eric Bieniemy takes the job because he's ready to just get out there and get to work. Well, Eric Bieniemy's not 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 walking through that door. Um, I, I it, it seems pretty clear that he wants to be an NFL head coach, and there's a big difference. So 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 everybody knows. So so everybody understands how this how this works. So it is very difficult for college coaches to get NFL jobs. It is easy for NFL coaches, whether you're a position coach, head coach, assistant coach, even if you did not do well in the NFL, you have that attached to your name. So then when a coach hires you, it's almost like a splash hire. So if, if, um, if Mario Cristobal at Oregon or Clay Helton at USC or, you know, Herm Edwards at ASU, whoever, if they hire an NFL player or coach as their coach, as a position coach or officer coordinator, they automatically get credibility for having a good hire. Would you agree with that, Rob? Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, uh, there are several examples of that. Yeah. 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 So if, if, if you have, you know, a like like for instance, if at Alabama, Alabama just hired Charlie Strong as a defensive analyst. Is that a splash hire? No. But had you had you had a um, you know, a 
who's a who's who's an NFL coach who just got fired? Oh, um, oh, all right. If if you bring in Ra- Raheem Morris, who was at Tampa Bay and got fired a couple years ago, if you bring him in as your defensive coordinator, what what is everybody going to say, Ralph? He's got that NFL experience. I mean, we're we're watching that that whole thing with Arizona State right now is. Herm Edwards being out of the game for nine years was easier to swallow because he had the NFL experience, right? I mean, yeah, Mar- so Mar- Marvin yeah, Lewis that was the NFL model. Yeah, yeah. And so, but at the same time, I mean, you got Bill O'Brien, right? You got, everybody knew Matt Rule was going to end up back in the NFL. So there's a path for it. Once the NFL is attached to your name that you could potentially be a head coach, Bienemy would have the opportunity to say, like, no, I really wanted to be a head coach. I took the opportunity, and in a couple of years, you know, maybe got back to the NFL. But maybe Colorado doesn't want to be in a situation where they only have somebody for a couple of years, or who's somebody whose ultimate goal is to get back to that NFL level. And that's something that I would understand. I've also noticed that there are a lot of Colorado fans who weren't super high on the idea anyway because they didn't like the five minutes that he spent as their offensive coordinator back in the day. <laughs> and I, that's some, that that's some nonsense. It's just, it, there's no context attached to it. It was, Oh, he didn't perform. And well, how is he supported? Who did he have? What was the rest of the staff? What was the current situation? Where was he at in his career? People can't develop. The Chiefs didn't just win a Super Bowl. Like those Colorado fans deserve all the pain and misery that came from this Mel Tucker defection. Well, yeah, and obviously, if if you guys want to hear how big of a problem it is with the Pac-12 and the finances, then you guys can listen to the last pod- podcast. We don't want to rehash all of that, but we want to move in a different direction because it is a big deal. the 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 finances are real. There's no way to ignore it, but you have Arizona State's president, Michael Crow, who seemingly is ignoring it. You you have covered him, covered Arizona State for a long time. Ralph, you can I I'll let you sum up what what my, Michael Crow said and how this affects everybody. Michael Crow is the president of Arizona State. He's been the president since 2002. He's been around a long time. He's been there for this uh, the entire transition of the Pac-10 into the Pac-12. He was there when Larry Scott was hired. He helped negotiate his salary. Uh, so take everything that that Michael Crow has said and that is currently making news and that currently has people up in arms with the um, take that information in also packaged with understanding that Michael Crow, any insult to Larry Scott, Michael Crow feels like is an insult to his own legacy. Okay. So as he does once a year, this has become an annual thing for him. Michael Crow came out and defended the PAC 12 uh, in the media down here in Arizona, there's something called Newsmakers Week on the biggest sports station uh, around. And so here that's 98.7 FM, and they have the broadcast rights to the ASU games, Suns games, Cardinals games. They're definitely the big boy in town as far as sports radio. So they do Newsmakers Week, and they book big guests, and they just do 
interviews. And Michael Crow um, was on and he made some comments that I think if you were just now paying attention for the very first time, uh, would have really taken you aback, especially the timing of it's not really great. But it also came one year to the day after he did the exact same thing. So this happens about once a year. And, uh, I, you know, I'll just walk you through some of the comments and, and I'll get your feedback from them. Um, first of all, he acknowledged that, that that there is more money going to other conferences. He said, we've got some runaway things going on uh, in some of the conferences relative to salaries for coaches. And we have a completely different model. We need football and men's basketball to be very competitive because they generate the revenue by which we make our programs work. But we're not going to buy into this endless model of whatever whatever it takes, whatever happens. This sport is more important than all the other sports. So hold on, can I can I just stop yeah, you? That's right where I there. need you to jump in. Yeah. The, okay. So the the first part, the runaway salaries. Yes, that that is a fact. I have said for a while that coach that the coaches and well the coaches' salaries in terms, especially in terms of guaranteed money and giving coaches these huge raises before proven results happen. That just giving them res, uh, huge raises to try to keep them away from other schools, it doesn't work because they'll just leave and they'll just pay the buyouts. Because especially because the other conferences have more more money, all this stuff. So I I've been will on, just point out he did just sign off on a one million dollar raise for Herm Edwards when nobody was trying to. I mean, Ray Anderson said that people were coming and trying to poach Herm Edwards, but I don't believe it for a second. I hundred percent agree. Yeah, I I do not believe for a second because that with, with how leaky everything is, if somebody was trying to interview Herm Edwards, we would have found out for sure. I do not. I agree with you. I do not believe that at all. Um, I do. I. So to, to to go back to what he was saying, the where he said the runaway salaries. However, that is the market conditions. If you are a company, if you're Google, Amazon, uh, whatever, Apple, a top company, and you want to keep top engineers, designers, coders, all of that stuff, you can't pay them non-competitive salaries and expect them to stay and just say, we have a different business model. Your business model is to go out of business or to, um, or to keep, or, or, or to stay middle of the road and never advance past, you know, you know, your, your station or be able to even keep up with the, like, you don't even have to keep up with the Joneses right, right now. You can't even keep up with the neighborhood that you live in. Think about this. What, what's happening in the PAC 12 is, is almost like home prices and home values. Everybody on your block, the ACC, SEC, Big 10 and Big 12, they're all, they all got new owners essentially built and built the house up. Like they tore it down or remodeled it and they built the house twice as big as it was. And the Pac-12, you're sitting over there in the corner and now you're look you're looking around and everybody is looking at you like, "Hey yo, you're bringing the property value down." So, we're either going to gate you out, like we're we're, we're going to build a fence 
because we have enough money to lobby our councilmen and all and whoever. So we will we'll build a fence and put you somewhere else and we'll make this a gated community. The the power for conferences. Because you can't keep up like that's literally what's happening in the Pac-12 and Michael Crow saying that we're not giving that business model. That doesn't make sense because that is the going rate, the industry standard. And then what was the last thing you said, Ralph? Well, just I want to jump in real real quick because think about all those companies out there, George, that had interns handling their social media for a long enough time that they were like, oh, we can just get away with doing it this way. Meanwhile, everybody realizes that, oh, my brand is out there every single day and the way that it represents itself, the way that interacts, you know, it it needs to be fresh and we need to stay out in front of people. So they start paying people to handle their social media, people who have proven ways of getting more engagement and more attention and getting customer service up and actually like building brand awareness and brand loyalty. And you're still back here with your interns saying like, I can't believe people pay for this thing that's free. Like, but everyone else is getting better than you are, whether you're increasing or not. And so that, I mean, that, that part of it right there is saying, acknowledging that it exists, but saying like, we're not going to emphasize it. Like we're, we're, we're not going to go out on a limb and do that. That's just silly. I mean, so already uh, we're already in a hole. Um, but you know, let's just get back to him acknowledging that things aren't great in football and basketball. He said, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So, you know, he said, uh, well, let's, let's get to this first when, where he just kind of defends, uh, Larry Scott. He said, Larry has a tough assignment and he has uh, a lot of people who have been upset at him because they think we need to be generating a lot more money that we don't have the best TV deal that the PAC 12 network isn't generating enough revenue and so forth and so on. Those people are forgetting the complexity of everything that we're trying to do. So I'm going to pause right there before he gets into regurgitating Larry Scott's resume. So those people, I consider myself amongst those people because he's saying the people who have a different opinion or who are upset. I'm among those. I think you are too, George. Yes. So are we forgetting the complexity of everything they're trying to do, George? No, no. We understand they're trying to build a network, trying to, uh, trying to find a way to sell these rights, make money. But the, the, the first, like they are forgetting the first, like principle of business, the first principle of business, there has supply and demand there. You, you have a supply of stuff. You have a supply of games. You have a supply of sports. The problem is there's not a demand for it. And that goes back to its other statement of, Oh, we're, we're not going to prioritize one sport over another. How stupid is that? Uh, yes, you should prior football should be the number one priority at every single sport. And he said it in his own statement, which, which further proves that it made no sense. Football makes the most money. 
and funds all the sports that don't make money, the Olympic sports and the other sports that don't make money. Football funds them. So guess what you should take care of first, Ralph? Your number one priority. Soccer. <laughs> exactly. Football. Yeah. Soccer, the Olympic sport. <laughs> you know, stuff you can get gold, gold medals at that people don't watch every year, all year. Well, that's so that's, that's what he said. He said <laughs> Michael Crow said the people, Pac-12 fans, they want to see softball, they want to see wrestling in addition to football and men's basketball. They want to see these things, so I think we're well positioned and I'm a supporter of Larry's. So the fact that the pack well that- positioned to do what like in in that same article Ralph they talked about about uh people wanting to buy this as a standalone product how many people are gonna buy a package to see UCLA uh gym gymnastics or <laughs> or or Stanford water polo I mean. I, I just don't get it because availability, I keep saying it's a best ability in life is availability. And the PAC 12 is not available. 18 million homes. Like there is no demand for your product. Zero. And even if there was, well, even if there was a demand, people still can't watch it because it's not available. So saying like, ah, you know, we're, we're doing the right thing by being able to broadcast volleyball, softball, rowing, all the things that we do. Um, yeah, but who is watching? Who can watch? Who can watch? Yep. That's the biggest yeah, but, issue. Yeah, but they, but they own a hundred percent, Ralph. They own a hundred percent. Do you do you understand that the that the richest people in on Earth do not own a hundred percent of their businesses? Mark Mark Zuckerberg, the what third or fourth richest man in the world? He doesn't own all of Facebook. He owns like what like. 10, 15, 20% of Facebook. That's it. You got uh uh same same thing with uh Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world. You got uh, they don't own a hundred percent of their companies. Why is this a I I as a person who's owned my own businesses, who owns property, all of this stuff, I I cannot make sense of this in my brain. Uh, this is like elementary like business fails is if you own a is it better to own a hundred percent of of barely anything or 15 percent of a billion dollar company i mean i i like it, it just I mean, this it- whole idea of complete ownership and complete control it makes like nobody in business does this like they group up and the way they the way they can make themselves stronger and more powerful and reach more people and also it lowers their exposure i i'm sorry ralph no i'm sorry i keep going it's it's fine if it's just anytime you take exactly what they're doing and you shift it into any other situation it sounds absurd you know like hey look Yes, I could have a timeshare in a New York high rise, but for two thirds of the cost, man, I own my own used RV and I can stay anywhere I want, anytime, you know, not in New York, not in the place where I need to be and want to call home, but I I own my own RV (laughs) 
right? And then you're <laughs> that, trying to ignore- that I can't park in yeah. New York, or or even just even just this this whole thing that he said. He said he said uh, Larry has helped increase our revenue by a factor of five. Okay, so this is one of those things that always ignores context. And this was the the uh, in 2019 when he came out and he staunchly defended Larry Scott. It was on the basis of like, hey, I was here when he was hired and we had no money. And look at the money that we have now. And you're sort of standing behind somebody because of the benefit that they've provided you. But you also always ignore the reality of what everybody else has. You know, and if you're in the game, but you're not in the game of loyalty, you're you're in the game of like lobbying for your own self-interest, you know, and you've been extra loyal. You've paid him more than anybody else gets to get you less than anybody else has. So you don't owe him anything. The only reason that Michael Crow would come out and defend him in such a staunch manner is it reflects on Michael Crow's legacy to be able to say like, hey, I was part of bringing Larry Scott in back when we have nothing and now we have all this. But you ignore the fact that everybody has that. All major conferences have giant increases in their revenue because that's the climate. That's what is going on. You don't. It's, it's not like Larry Scott invented it. Right. So, yes, they do own their own network and everything like that. And he says, we have the best deal we've ever had. It will come up for renegotiation, we think, at just the right moment with the expansion of the Internet and all kinds of new streaming services. We think we'll be really well positioned to get additional revenue enhancements into the conference. And so we're excited about that. Now, pausing right there. We think we might There's no guarantee in that. And that's the biggest, scariest thing to me. If you spend your entire life training to be able to hit a fastball out of the park and you go into a game and the starting pitcher, his best pitch is his fastball. And you say to yourself, you know what? I think I'm really, really well positioned to possibly come up and hit this guy's fastball. But you don't know if he's going to throw a fastball and you don't know if he's going to be chased out of the game. You literally don't know. There are unknowns involved in your scenario. We think we might. That's horrifying because even then, we've talked about this a million times, George, even if they do, everybody else's deal is coming up too. And they're oh, already oh, oh, far oh, outpaced and, this conference. And and the, the, the worst part of it, the worst part of the statement is this, is aside from we think we might, which is horrific it is the fact that there's new streaming services technology if you talk to any any uh, just 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 go to mashable and read go to listen to bill gates talk who owns microsoft go to listen to uh, jeff bezos who owns amazon amazon's getting into the streaming business all of this who can possibly tell you what technology and what's going to be popular three years from now? Like they can't even tell you. I mean, look, pe- people thought it was impossible that that uh, cable networks would be going out of business and that people would be sh- running away from DirecTV and just babbing subscription services. I don't even have DirecTV. I have Hulu TV and YouTube TV and I have Slink. Like that's that's what I have, and it still works out cheaper than my whole Direct TV package. So 
I, it, it just doesn't make sense to me how you can try to project out into the future as a conference when every other like people who are in this industry are like, uh, we don't know what things are going to look look like. And we're keeping ourselves nimble right now. That way we can adjust as things happen. So how do you think that you're going to be positioned to sell something when you don't even know how to sell it because it doesn't exist or they don't even know how it's going to work at that time? I, I it, it is just I just waiting for the sake of waiting. It is it's it's silly. It's silly, Ralph. And that, that's why the conference is in the, the situation that it's in. And Michael Crow is a smart guy. You don't get to be the president of a school by being an idiot. However, sometimes even the smartest people in the world, they miss the mark. And Michael Crow, Michael Crow is a real estate giant. Like essentially Arizona State University is a real estate company masquerading as uh, a college. You know, for all of the great things that Arizona State has done for me and my life and my wife's life and everything like that, you know, it lets everyone in. So it believes in complete access, which really keeps any other universities from really getting much of a foothold. And Arizona is very different than anywhere else in that we have three major colleges and, you know, <laughs> New Mexico has probably twice that as far as, you know, two year and four year institutions that have athletic programs. But, you know, Arizona's got three. One of them has 90,000 students in ASU and they continually buy up land the university buys up land and then leases it to businesses who run their businesses on a college campus, meaning that they don't have to pay the same taxes as everybody else. So, and, and in turn, they turn around and make those donations that would typically go to, to, to uncle Sam, they make them directly to the university. Right. So he, he is, I would probably feel more comfortable with Michael Crow running the PAC 12 uh, than I do Larry Scott, because this is a guy who has always known how to maximize resources. Uh, but what I what I don't understand is why all of the sudden somebody who has done an incredible job of maximizing every possible penny that can come into uh, Arizona State University feels differently when it comes to the income that comes from athletics. And these were part of his comments last year. He said, conference income is a tiny part of everybody's income. It's just a piece of everybody's income. You have your own advertising, conference income, donor income, athletic revenue, other sources. From the conference perspective, we're up five or six fold from where we were. We're continuing to accelerate the network. We're not producing out of our television contract quite what the others are producing at the moment. Theirs came up and were renewed. After ours was put in place, I don't have any long-term concerns. There might be some short-term concerns. And then this is the part that blows my mind. He says, I also don't think the best way to measure things is resources. The best way, yeah. right, right. The best way to measure things is graduation rates, championships, all kinds of things. There's ups and downs for everybody in those arenas. So that I think when we made our strategic chance, which was to modernize the conference, from that point forward, things have gone very well, and I expect they will continue to go well. There may be some short-term heartburn that somebody is making more revenue than we are in conference A or B, but that's an episodic thing. So last year's comments were way more revealing than this year's comments. That, uh, that that sticks out to me the most. I don't think the best way to measure things is resources. Get out of here. Stop. Just just stop. 
if if you didn't think that was the case, you wouldn't be buying up all this damn land at Arizona State. Uh, just, just, I mean, this is how. Oh my lord! Uh, how do you expect to fund everything without resources? How do you expect to 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 pay for all your Title IX sports and your non-revenue generating Olympic sports without money? Football makes money. Basketball makes money. Oh God, I'm 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 done with him, and uh, and I'm on to another nitwit, um, <laughs> uh, Mark Emmert, the NC the president of the NCAA, which is just just craziness. Um, so the NCAA, other conferences, and all this have been lobbying against college athletes and the name, image, and likeness thing. And you had Mark Emmert make statements to the Mark Emmert, uh, Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowsley, uh, who testified in front of the Senate and said things like, if these laws are implemented, the ones from the other states like the the uh, Cali- California and Florida, New York, all these states that have passed laws, I'm sorry, they have passed bills that may become laws. If implemented, these laws would give some schools an unfair recruiting advantage and open the door to sponsorship arrangements being used as as a recruitment inducement. This would create a huge imbalance among schools and could lead to corruption in the recruiting process. That's what Mark (laughs) Emmert said. That's what Mark Emmert said. Yeah, exactly. We may need Congress's support in helping maintain uniforms standards in college and fo- college sports ralph what sticks out to you with that comment <laughs> that that he's saying that these things might happen that have been going on for 30 or 40 years <laughs> like whoa 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 we gotta be real careful here or things will stay the exact same like it's it's insane to me do you remember when the money from these shoe contracts went directly to the coach. Yes. And then the the schools wanted in. And now the apparel contracts are directly with the universities. And here in this, in this uh, fortune magazine article that you sent over to me, it said that in a December meeting with Senator Mitt Romney, NCAA President Mark Emmert said everyone agrees that schools shouldn't be able to use big endorsement deals to gain a recruiting advantage. What? <laughs> That's literally all the Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. What are you Dude, talking about? Like there th- there there's are an a, FBI investigation right. going on about this right now. Right. Man, there are uh, how how many of of the God knows how many kids that have signed letters of intent this year in football and basketball? Let's say it's you know ten thousand, right? How how many of them do you think re- received gift cards or or some type of illegal payment? I mean, e- e- even if it's an extra. Hundred bucks on a recruiting trip, or an extra, sh- you know, an extra hoodie, or whatever. How many of them do you think received 
what or what percentage of them do you think receive something that they were not supposed to that's against NCAA rules? You don't even have to, but you don't even have to get into the par- portions of it that contain illegality. I talked to a high level recruit this week, this week. I mean, I'm always talking to these recruits, but I talked to one this week that said that he spoke with a certain Big Ten school very recently and they lead with the the amount that you get in your stipend. That's what they lead with. And where do you think they get that stipend money? From a mega endorsement deal. From everything, you know, as Michael Crow said, you know, resources don't matter, I guess, but from the resources. So we're talking about yep. schools leading off the recruitment with pitching you the fact that their stipend is larger than another school. Yep. Of and- It's already happening legally. Legally. So you don't even have to get into all of the super shady stuff, which I've been around for years now. I covered, uh, I cover, I continue to cover high school basketball in the state of Arizona. Well, (laughs) you're familiar with Marvin Bagley, George, Sierra Canyon, right? Yeah. Before Sierra Canyon, he was at a little school out here called Hillcrest. I wrote an article about Hillcrest, which caused Marvin Bagley to leave the school. They weren't uh, NCAA accredited. But, but Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton, who went number one and two in the 2018 NBA draft, for a moment, they were both at the same school, a school that was funded by a Nike contract. That Nike money was coming in just to get DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley to eventually sign with Mike and Nike at some given time. The way that they got Marvin Bagley uh, to that school in part. And they both signed with Puma though. Yeah, they both Eventually, signed with Puma. Though, and now yeah. DeAndre Ayton is missing games with hurt ankles all the time. But uh, so, so yeah, so it didn't work out. But I've seen these, uh, look, I'm friends with some of the Adidas grassroots guys. They follow these athletes around like puppy dogs. Like they, they hire young, cool, hip guys to like get close to these athletes and help kind of push the brand along. You know, I've seen I've seen those guys develop a relationship with Christian Kirk, which leads to him signing with Adidas out of Texas A and M. Like I, I've I've seen these things. I've seen Nike follow uh, DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley around wherever they go. I've seen DeAndre Ayton get embroiled in this scandal, this that never really got settled of of money basically being funneled to players through shoe companies to go to University of Arizona, which is a is a Nike school. You know, I can't speak to the to the um, uh, to the, you know, accuracy of a lot of the reports that, that are out there. It seemed like some of them were kind of shady, but I can say that I definitely know of other players who, and, and we've seen people go to jail and seen people get in a lot of trouble for filtering this money. And we've seen Michael Avenatti just, just got found guilty and is going to go to prison for trying to hold Nike hostage over some of the information that he had secured uh, that, that showed illegality on, on their end. So we already know that it's a giant mess. But I, I mean, I've been in the middle of it. Like I, you know, I wrote this story. Marvin Bagley ends up at Sierra Canyon. DeAndre Ayton stays at Hillcrest. They end up switching things around. So their classes are NCAA accredited, but the shoe companies were just always around. They knew those guys were going to be top five picks. They knew yep. they were around. And, and essentially they kind of help put those players in a position to, you know, at the end of the day, you know, DeAndre Ayton was considering Nike schools. How, why do you think that happens? At universe, uh, Arizona State University signed their uh, their deal with Adidas, and all of a sudden uh, the the team, the big club team out of Compton, the Compton Magic, all of a sudden all those players are available to them now because they're an Adidas grassroots 
organization. Yep. This stuff already happens and has happened and forever. it's been going yes when when i was coming out in high school there was a uh i think sports illustrated did a feature of the most powerful people in sports and and uh one of the people on there was a was a was involved in the high school basketball business it was a set of twins the pump brothers and they they actually ended up getting in trouble, uh, some some kind of trouble over surrounding the uh, tickets because they owned part of a ticket company. And then the the tickets, the company would then get when when kids went to certain schools, the company would then get access to buy those tickets for like the NCAA tournament, all of that stuff. So it's a ticket broker. And then the ticket broker was able to make all their money. So they didn't need a payment from the school. It was like a barter. The kid goes goes there. We get access to buy tickets. And then we make our money off the resale market. So when you're on StubHub or you're on, you know, uh, uh, SeatGeek or whatever you go to to buy tickets and they're coming from ticket brokers, that's why it's hard to get because those seats are quote unquote released to the public. Some of them are not released to the public. Yeah, they're public. All right. They're public companies. Um, but uh, Mark Emery, though, the, the I don't want to before we move on, I don't want to miss out on this part of his statement where he said that some schools will have an unfair recruiting advantage. Ralph, in in football and in, in football in particular. 99.3% of the top 100 recruits each year choose Power 5 conferences. That's less than one kid a year that does not choose a Power 5 conference. And, and the last one was probably like Ed, Ed Oliver, who went to Houston. Yeah. And like there is already an imbalance in terms of in terms of it's unfair because Houston doesn't have the same ability to get a kid as Alabama does or Oregon or UCLA or Arizona state, any of them. They have more of an ability to get a kid than Memphis. Like, come on, man. Like, let's just, like, it, it's just, it's just stupid. But anyways, we, we digress on to the ACC who, um, has talked about their transfer rules, uh, because we've been, everybody's on the transfer portal is, you know, there's no transfer portal in life. Even though there is, if there's a big bag of money. Yeah. Attached shout to it. out Mel Tucker. <laughs> we didn't even get into the fact that, that that was a Mel Tucker. Uh, it was his, he, he shouldn't get roasted too hard for it because I think he set it away from any cameras or people. And then it was actually Colorado's SID who made it a public thing, which he got roasted for in the moment. And then when Mel Tucker took this job, that SID went back and deleted the original tweet, which I I mean, has this dude never, ever heard that like that just makes it worse. So now everybody's talking about the fact because everybody screenshotted already. Exactly. That's why I, because I, I don't think that Mel Tucker has deleted his tweet about being committed to Colorado. No, he did not. There's no point. It's there. It's there forever. You might as well just keep it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So the ACC is talking about their transfer rules, and they're talking about how 
they want to allow players to have a one-time transfer without having to sit out, be immediately eligible. So for anybody that doesn't know how transfer transfers work is, if a player enters his name in the transfer portal, sometimes schools, depending on the conference and all this, they have the ability to say, okay, we will grant you, uh, we will sign off. Actually, let me, let me back, back up. Then I'll go into that. So how it works is a kid enters the transfer portal. He then chooses where he wants to go. And then that, and then his former school has to sign off on the possibility of the conference allowing him to be immediately eligible. Then from the conference, then the NCAA, if the conference says okay, then but the conference goes with, uh, with whatever the school says pretty much always. And then the NCAA determines whether that kid is eligible immediately. So to back up, so sometimes schools then say, all right, we'll grant you, we'll say that the conference can choose whether you will be immediately eligible. And then the NCAA, if you go to X, Y, and Z schools, we won't allow you to go to these schools. So the ACC is saying, listen, done with all that. Schools are going to have to say yes. Conference is going to say yes. Then it's going to fly up the flagpole to the NCAA. Do you think this is a good move? Because I because as hard as you know, Larry Scott and some of these other Pac-12 people have been fighting against name, image, and likeness, and they just go with the party line instead of being willing to be innovators. I don't see this. I don't see Larry Scott jumping on board with this. But do you like it? I mean, I don't know. I I I I, I need some. I need some convincing. <laughs> yeah, you tell me. You tell me what you think. I like it, especially if it's adopted nationally, because it would do away with, and then the NCAA adopting it, because that would do away with the inconsistencies with the transfers. You have a kid like Justin Fields who transfers from Georgia to Ohio State because of playing time. It was clear. But he applied for a waiver, hired a lawyer, all of this. But then you have a kid leave Ohio State, I think he went to West Virginia, a tight end, not as meaningful of a position, to a, a not a national power school, a family member sick within 100 miles. He lit, His family's from there, he's from there, all of that. Not, immediate, not immediately eligible. And I think that those kinds of discrepancies are what make for problems. And if you just have a one-time transfer rule, any other time you got to sit out a year, we don't care what the reason is. Then I'm completely on board with that. Yeah. uh, I don't know. I I don't like transfers. I like like people to be um, free to make whatever decision they want to. I think that if the NCAA is going to say they're amateurs and pound their chest, then they should treat them like the regular students they are. And, you know, if, if somebody is participating in student government or some other extracurricular activity at one college and they want to do it at the next one, there's nothing that keeps them out, you know? And so um, if, if they want to keep things status quo, Maybe that's something that they should float as a concession, you know, and saying like, hey, um, we, we're not going to get behind name, image and likeness. But how about we let you play immediately wherever you want to go, whenever. I still don't love the idea of transfers. 
Um, you know, I think that uh, we, we've rapidly moved past the idea, not just with kids, but with coaches, that people progress, you know, that people are different their freshman year versus their redshirt senior year. And because of the amount of money that's involved on the coaching end, if you can't do something for me right now, I don't have time for you. So you have all these coaches with all this money at stake that are not developers. They're doing absolutely nothing for these kids. So it does absolutely nothing for these kids to rot on the bench wherever they're going to be at, because it's, it doesn't become about how can I develop as a player over the course of my time here? It's, was I part of the plan? Do I fit in the system right now? If not, and that's the case immediately, then I might as well find a place where I do. The problem with that is wherever they go next is also probably just one year away from being in some sort of transition as well. And so it's almost like that whole thing of uh, of the weather. Like you don't like the weather today, wait. You know, you, you never know if things could work out in your favor if you stick around, but people want to feel like they have some sort of control. And so they look for what might fit them best. And it's kind of short-sighted, you know, a lot of these transfers. Obviously it's different if you're a quarterback or if you can get a waiver or whatever. Um, but maybe just making it all allowable might be a way to say like, you know, we recognize the fact that coaches um, have sort of become addicted to the the lottery ticket that is this profession. Not to say that a lot of them don't work as hard or harder than anyone in any profession anywhere. Um, but, you know, if the carrot that was out there available for me was millions of dollars, I might work harder at this podcast, George. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I think that, you know, we have to recognize the fact that with all the money in the system, we're failing the players because the whole point is to develop them and make them better. And the kids are just recognizing that that's not happening and that's causing them to seek what's best for them elsewhere. And so everybody's feeding into what's kind of a poison system. And it's very possible. I can't guarantee it. It's very possible that if you just take all the restrictions away, that there is some type of course correction, maybe that if everybody just has the freedom to come and go, then maybe coaches will take the next step in making sure that their players feel comfortable in that system. And maybe there's a little bit more of an equity of the, the, the power of a, a freshman who is on scholarship oh, for sure. versus a head coach who is um, making eight, $9 million a year. But I do think that transfers to have immediate eligibility should come with some type of academic conditions. Um, Like, yes, you can transfer if you have X uh, GPA, if you're on track with it. Like, you have to be actually, you, you have to cater into the system somehow. Like, you can't transfer and have immediate eligibility unless you're actually like passing your classes, right? I think that that to just to be able to go somewhere and get a fresh start because you got a couple of F's uh, and, and, and became ineligible that that shouldn't be something that's an option. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a big issue. It's a huge issue. Um, I, I, at the high school level, when I cover high school football, when I, I always get on people who, who, uh, cry about all these transfers and say like, what does it matter to you? Who cares? And then that gives me the uh, reputation as somebody who's pro transfer. I would prefer that nobody ever transfer at all ever so that I don't have to hear your bitching. 
But since they are transferring and I am hearing your bitching, I got to turn to you and say, like, is there a way that I can get you to quit bitching, sir? <laughs> Grown man who this does not affect. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not yeah. I'm not pro transfer, but it's the reality we live in. So we have to find a way to make the system make more sense than it makes now because you you know justin fields and tate martell getting immediate eligibility while somebody who has a family illness isn't getting immediate eligibility that's insanity to me i just don't understand it i totally agree with you and they are you know on a different path and we will i think that there's going to be a a that all this transfer name image and likeness is going to come to a serious head because the NCAA can lobby as much as it wants to. I think that there are enough people in power who don't think that the system is equitable enough that they're not going to go away. And Gavin Newsom in California is not going away with this. It's not going to happen. And there's a good chance. There's a good chance. This whole thing just burns to the ground in front of our faces. And there's a lot of people who would be really, really sad about that happening, but we all have to recognize it's very important to recognize that this is a fun thing for entertainment that greed kind of got the better of and the NCAA dying a fiery death <laughs> is uh it would be natural consequences essentially like and and I know that people don't like it and they want things to kind of remain the same and people don't like change but the truth is you know I always go back to that line from um from Batman where Anne Hathaway leans into Christian Bale's ear and says, you know, you're going to wonder how you lived so large for so long without leaving anything for the rest of us. Like there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. And it, I think that there's a really strong possibility that we just end up reaping what we sowed and we watch something that we enjoyed for a really long time come to a, a, a very, very ugly demise. And um, I'm not okay with it, but I'm also, I'm not going to say that it's, you know, it's it's not life altering for me. This was a form and source of entertainment that we should have done a better job with uh, shepherding 20, 30 years ago. Oh, for sure. First, for, for sure. This, this is a case where people tried to fight it for so long. The point in time that Ed O'Bannon got NCAA stopped being made by EA uh, at that point in time, she said, and they won the case. I mean, the NCAA's had five years since I got a check from this case. So they had time. So at, at that point in time, there should have been, okay, hold up. Mm, but they have a permanent home in Washington, DC to lobby and all of that stuff. And they just thought that you know, we got these people in our pocket, won't be a big deal, everything will be okay. But it doesn't work like that. Um, the NCAA draft of the NCAA draft, the NFL draft is coming up, Ralph, and there are mock drafts out and all of that. And right now, there are only two Pac-12 players in the top 20, well, sorry, in the top 32 in a lot of the um, draft in in the mock mock drafts, and the three and Mel Kiper just came out with one, but he's he's wrong sometimes. I actually trust Todd McShay more um, of those of the ESPN guys, 
But there are some other, obviously, reputable sites who do really well. But obviously, the the, the one person who's for sure going in the first round, I think that every there's a consensus. I mean, it would be, I mean, like, this would be a healthy bowl bowl not going in the first round type of <laughs> type of catastrophe if Justin Herbert did not go in the first round. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think Justin Herbert going in the first round is says more about the nature and needs of NFL teams, uh, as well as the structure of contracts to where first rounders don't cripple your entire financial situation anymore than it does his potential ability to impact an NFL team from the outset. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't think he's... I think that this year, and it's not just Justin Herbert, but I think everybody, I think that the 2020 draft will go down in history as one of the biggest quarterback flameout drafts in the history I of the NFL. I 100% agree with you there. Oh, Ralph, we are on the same page. I don't believe in Joe Burrow like everybody does. Um. Like I and honestly, I do have some questions about Herbert. Don't believe in Eason. Obviously, one at least one of them is going to turn out to be good. I mean, the the kid love from Utah State. There's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. A lot of quarterbacks, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him and I'm like, whoo! Like I'm not sold on anybody. Like who are you most sold on? Because you could because you got Joe Burrow, Tua. Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, Jacob Eason. And then it goes down to like Anthony Gordon from Washington State, Tyler Huntley, Nate Stanley from Iowa, like Shea Patterson from Michigan. Dude, Steven Montez, this could get bad. I hate it all. (laughs) I do like, I do, I do like Burrow and I think he'll be okay. I don't, I don't, um, see him as being a, you know, there, there's a lot more to Cincinnati than just a quarterback being able to go in and save them. You know, people forget, I don't know how people forget this, but people forget how many times Andy Dalton led that team to a competitive season and how it ultimately just didn't matter because there weren't really the resources or culture there. To resources help. don't matter, Ralph. Stop, oh. stop saying that. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, but yeah, how many college degrees did the members of the Cincinnati Bengals have? That should be really the thing that we that we <laughs> that we measure. But yeah, so I I I think that uh, of that group, you know, he's probably got the best shot to maybe go on and have a future Pro Bowl or two. Um, I I don't think he's the next coming of quarterback Jesus, and we we just came off a. Uh, a situation where, you know, so many good quarterbacks came out in the last two years and, and sort of a model was set up for how you could be successful in the NFL as a quarterback uh, through some of the things that Lamar Jackson is doing and that Kyler Murray is doing and just being a dual threat. You don't have to have the best arm in the entire world. And then what happens, George, they don't even invite Bryce Perkins from Virginia to the combine. Wow. Yeah. Like he doesn't even get a combine invite. And he took the University of Virginia to an Orange Bowl. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, and even then, I, you know, I think that Bryce Perkins are definitely, it, it, it's going to be a big wake up call and a big adjustment to, 
you know, whatever he ends up doing in the NFL. I just, I'm not super impressed with this entire group and Justin Herbert being the number one rated player to come out of the Pac-12. You know, that's a lot of pressure on a guy who you and I saw um, not really do anything spectacular and a lot of, you know, who he was as a player was kind of dependent on how he'd use his athleticism, which is something that you can really exploit at the college level and maybe not so much as a pro. If they want to have Justin Herbert out there running, I'm all for it. If they want to treat him like Josh Allen, I'm all for that. But, you know, are they going to? It depends on what team he ends up with. Yeah, I, I think with, with with him, I think that there are some questions only because – the offense was so bad. I mean, like, well, I should, should, should not say bad. It was very inconsistent. Like, the, they weren't very good on third down. and But then Herbert goes off and plays really well at the Senior Bowl. All these things. Like, and so it's just – and then one of the years, Oregon didn't have any wide, wide receivers. It's just – I think that there were some factors, some reasons that he had inconsistency as opposed to just – it just being all on on him, which leads to way more question marks. But to only have two players projected in the first round with Justin Herbert and Eason, and Eason may not even make the first first round. But some some people do have Lavishka Chenault put possibly getting in. Austin Jackson from USC obviously depends on how he tests. But yeah, and then you got Ayuk. Uh, I've seen the Arizona State wide receiver potentially in the first round, but we will see. But this is the type of thing that factors into recruiting. You need to put guys in the league the way you can have a selling point for that. Yeah. Um, Do you, I I got a couple questions for you. Uh, LaVisca Chenault obviously had his, his injury issues. Um, There are some people that believe that Brandon Ayuk could be taken above him. I'm not one of them. Who, who would you take? The the six foot two hundred and ten pound guy that can run a four four, or the six foot two two hundred and twenty pound guy that you can use in any position on the field. I like Chenault, and and and, and the reason why. I mean, granted, Ayuk is very explosive. He's fast. Get over the top. All these things. The thing I like about Chenault with the NFL game, he's a good route runner, big body, catches the ball well. You can move him inside, outside, hand him the ball. He'll throw it. I mean, you can you can Swiss Army knife wide receiver this guy. And the thing I like about him is that he was hurt, but it was clear that football was very important to him because he could have sat down. He could have sat out games. No problem and still been in the same position he is now. But he chose not to do that. He chose to ball out. So, and you you always get extra credit yeah. for me when it comes to that. So, I and then there, there are two other things that I'm just looking at this right now. They, they say that Austin Jackson could be the first offensive lineman from the Pac-12 off the board. And I like him in the first round, but... And I know I've known Austin Jackson for years. You know, we talk every once in a while. He's a great dude. This is nothing against him, but it's hard to be an NFL like ready tackle in year one. I would draft him late in the first, maybe early in the second, and I would immediately move him inside so that he can play from day one. And then if 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 you feel like he's getting to the point where he could play some tackle, 
you know, go ahead and move him out there. But maybe if you have some depth, you don't need him to come in and start right away. But I think that if you want to get this guy on the field immediately, um, you try, try to move him in. I, that's just, I don't know. That's just me. And then the guy that I think um, is maybe being slept on a little bit, who I feel like is going to have a lot of NFL success is, you know, this thing you sent me has, um, has Troy die rated as maybe the last pick of the second round, maybe early third round. And I think that Troy die has fantastic NFL prospects. I think that he'll be, he could be a very, very good pro. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, his game lends itself to the NFL as long as, as long as he can take on a lot of the blocks and all of that stuff, but uh, linebackers who can run cover in space are always, are always, <laughs> looked for in the NFL and he'll get a chance to play a lot on special teams because he can run. He's a guy that if he doesn't contribute immediately could have a long career just off the fact that he'll be playing special teams a lot. And so that's always good. Um, We'll be interested to see where Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from Utah goes um, and Lecky Fotu, the defensive lineman from Utah as well, Bradley and I, and um, yeah, and the Pac-12 all-time tackling, well, not all-time, but one of the, <laughs> he led the conference a couple years, Evan Weaver. Yeah, so it will it will be in- interesting, but, but the guy that I want to see get a legit shot is Joshua Kelly from UCLA. I don't know why I like that kid so much. Every time I watch him, he runs good between the tackles, all of that. Oh, I and think I think another... he'll translate to the NFL. So I'm glad you brought his name up because of everybody on here. I think that he, you could get him maybe fifth round and he'd be an absolute steal. Yeah, yeah. He's he he's a guy that a running back goes down in front of him and then he puts up a 200 yard rushing day and you're like on your fantasy team like where the hell did this dude come from. That's Joshua Kelly. Um, I think Jacob Breeland from Oregon, the tight end, I think he will actually have a good NFL career. Um, but Air, but Arizona State, they may have lost their best player from last year. In their punter, Michael Turner. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice when a redshirt sophomore punter declares early. But, I mean, you, you and I are on the same page with him. He's not going to have a better year. No, it would be impossible for him to have a better year and 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 if he did he should have went in the draft the year before all right he's 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 got the family name um uh michael turk dad that's his wait is that uncle his uncle uncle, yeah yeah, but his dad i think yeah played played for the texans for a long time yeah he yeah yeah no he's got the nfl connections and i this is a dude who like didn't even punt at first, when he first started going to college, and then he figured it out and went to Arizona State, chased their punter out, got himself a scholarship, and then, yeah, I mean, yeah, good for him. I, I'd, I'd be very interested to see um, if, if he ends up getting drafted. If not, you know, he's getting a camp invite, and he's definitely going to make someone very, very nervous oh, for, for their sure. job. For sure. Yeah, if that dude comes in, comes in camp and you're – a guy who's got a high cap number, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. all right. Hey, hey, do you guys want to just cut, cut me now? And they're going to say, ah, no, just in case he gets hurt. <laughs> or or he turns out to be like the kid from um, Florida State who, who uh, Aguayu, oh, Aguayu, who, oh my who, who couldn't kick field goals. I feel bad for that dude, man. Yeah, yeah, I do too. 
the last thing we got up today is the NCAA. Well, March Madness is coming up, but first the Pac-12 tournament is coming up. And in women's basketball, the conference looks great. Everybody's excited about Oregon, uh, UCLA, who I watched play. They play really hard on defense. I like watching watching them play. Arizona State is obviously good. Stanford just won a last second. But before we get to them, the men, Ralph. The men. Yeah. I, I, I just, like, the only two ranked teams played this week, Oregon and Colorado. Oregon won this time in Eugene after losing in Colorado where they can't win. I thought we may get six Pac-12 teams in the tournament, and now I see that's not how. Well, how about the, the there's there's only one game difference between the first place team and the sixth place team in the Pac-12 right now. Obviously, tiebreakers would have to factor in and everything like that, but Colorado is nine and four, and UCLA is eight and five. UCLA is currently sixth in the conference, so this week is ridiculously important for Pac-12 basketball. Uh, right now, Arizona is in a tie for third with Arizona State, and that's who Oregon has this week. And Oregon is currently in a tie, essentially a tie for first. I think they might even have the tiebreaker over Colorado. And so, yeah. and so you have Oregon in the tie for first playing the two teams that are in a tie for third. So, I mean, and on the road, Colorado... Uh, is currently in a tie for first, and they're playing the teams that are in a tie for fifth at home in USC and UCLA. They got to make sure that they they win those games to be able to stay on top of it. So, I mean, this could not be a more exciting time. What's crazy is we could literally see UCLA, if things go bad for Oregon and Colorado, we could see UCLA vault to near the top. And this yep. is the team that's 15 and 11 right now. And so this is a this is a hell of a week for Pac-12 basketball. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and the teams that kind of look good right now is it seems like Arizona's kind of figuring things out. Uh, Arizona, yeah. Arizona State just got their first road sweep since hiring Bobby Hurley five years ago. So they've never had a Pac-12 road, road sweep before this last weekend. When they oh they just beat go split Cal Stanford yeah they split every time every single time and so um, maybe they're getting hot at the right time Remy Martin was just named Pac-12 Player of the Week uh, along with Zeke Naji um, yeah but this is the probably the the biggest weekend for the LA schools you know and then you have teams that are kind of holding on for dear life like Stanford Stanford is in a position where they they have to win out the Pac-12 tournament starts now basically. Yeah. Oh, for, oh, for, oh, for sure. I don't think anybody expected, uh, you know, I think people expected Oregon or Arizona and well, Oregon and Arizona to kind of run away with the conference and for one of them to win it. But I mean, everybody is within. Yeah, like you said, the top six teams are within one game. And when you look at the bracketology right right now, they have Colorado, Oregon, and Arizona, all five seeds. And then you got Arizona State and USC as 11 seeds with USC having a play-in game. 
<laughs> um, can, can can we try to keep the Pac-12 teams off the play-in like line? That would be nice because those teams are tough. Like everybody's yeah. tough. Everybody's tough, but you like stylistically, you, you can run into some issues there. Uh, here's a, I'm gonna I'm surprise you with a topic that we didn't talk about beforehand. Um, but I, I just want to get your take on it because there's a little bit of a tiff in Pac-12 women's basketball right now because uh, the Oregon State head coach, um, whose name is escaping me right now, I'm trying to look it up, but he's been making comments recently about a few of the different teams, kind of calling them bullies and overly physical. And uh, he uh-huh. he called he called the Arizona State women's team football players. Um, which I which I thought was uh, was interesting, and I'm, I'm again I'm trying to look up his um, his name right now. But uh, Arizona State actually complained to the conference about his comments, and I just I, f- I found that to be incredibly fascinating because Oregon his name State, is Scott Scott uh, Rook. Yes, yes. So he made some comments recently that basically said like. Look, anytime we we play against Arizona or Arizona State, you know, they're just more physical than us and we have to play a game that we're not necessarily used to. And they're like football players out there. You know, they're super aggressive and they push and and all that. And yeah. Yeah. The, the, oh, the players are playing too rough. Oh, they, can you can you protect us? We're college athletes, but we need to protect our team. We're, we're so soft and dainty and gentle. No, <laughs> man, this is sports. Like if if I were the other team schools, I would be like, yes, I love it. Thank you. Oh. Oh, so you're saying our teams are tougher than yours, more physical than yours? That that's your fault, coach. If you don't make your team tough, because coaches, teams take on the personality of their coach for the most part. Yeah. Occasionally there are some weird teams where you get some weird roster stuff, but for the most part, it's the coach. Well, and, and they, if you're a crybaby, then your team's gonna be a crybaby. Well, I, and I don't want to be too hard on Scott Root because we know how he feels about being hard on uh, his people. But I, 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 I want to read I will his be. exact comments uh, because, first of all, they it, the, he made the comments before they played Arizona State. And then that ended up being one of the craziest games of the season where ASU was up two with like, I don't know, one second left. And Oregon State scored. And then ASU inbounded the ball to nobody. And then Oregon State scored with four tenths of a second left to win 64-62. So just absolutely crazy game uh, where they ended up getting the win. But before the game, he said, the Sun Devils play football. That's what they do. It's an absolute bloodbath when you play them. You either rise to it and play tougher and harder than them, or they push you around. And uh, that it seems kind of aggressive. Um, and what Charlie Turner Thorne, ASU's coach said is like, that's disrespectful and insulting to our team. Uh, we contacted their administration. We're in your conference. And he said, the irony of it is that people want to complain about us, but we're probably one of the least physical teams, uh, that I've ever coached. I wish we were more physical. We aren't, we're small, we're skinny and we try to play hard. I don't even get it. And then she said that she makes, she makes her players right by hand 
50 times if they ever uh, foul a jump shooter. I will never, ever, 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 ever foul a jump shooter. (laughs) She makes them write it on paper by hand and they're like complain about their hands cramping and stuff. So she said like she, she works really hard to make sure they're not like overly aggressive in, in situations when they're not. But then, uh, uh, he, he, this is what Scott Rook had to say about university of Arizona. He said, it's been extremely physical, which is a concern. It goes against everything we have been taught and trained to do. We're supposed to prepare a team to play based off rules and videos that everybody is supposed to play by. That's what I expect. If that doesn't happen, what are we doing? Oh God, dude, dude. He is just, ultimate cry cry baby and he clearly didn't see oregon play ucla if you saw that so oregon was blowing the doors off for ucla up 20 at halftime and ucla turned something on on defense dude you this is this was the most physical women's game i've ever seen or well well it seen in a long time at least dude ucla it, it was like they were running Nolan Richardson's 40 minutes of hell at, at, at Arkansas. They were pushing, jumping, fouling, passing lanes, all of that. Some games are going to be like that. And to, it's, to it's be okay. frank, man, that, that's one of the reasons why I'm a fan of women's sports is like they are physical and they play really hard. And I feel like I've caught kind of gotten jaded with, you know, the amount of Money. That's why the NBA All-Star Game, the fourth quarter of the NBA All-Star Game was the most fun I've had watching basketball, non-playoff basketball at the professional level in forever. Because you're seeing all these guys that make $30 million a year play their asses off. And it was sort of disjointed because they're not used to each other and they're not used to everybody playing that hard in the first place, but like I, I stood for the entire fourth quarter, even my, my wife who has kind of gotten jaded on the NBA as well. She came in and we were just like standing in front of the TV, watching it. We were too getting goosebumps talking about it right now. And, And one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of women's sports is that fourth quarter is like the first quarter of, of uh of ucla loyola marymount in the middle of november <laughs> like they, they just play hard and i like that you know i i i like to watch people go all out and i feel like the women's game especially pac-12 basketball and you know which i which i pay quite a bit of attention to they are going hard all the time and so it's just this this scott root guy can oh. he just needs to shut up see see and then i just looked at the standings they fall into sixth in the conference. They're seven and seven. They're still ranked number 15 in the country, but they've lost three straight games. So, you know. Maybe they the, should be uh, a little more physical. Yeah. I mean, there's not like what what are, what are we crying about? What are we complaining about? This is super lame. Super, super, super lame. Um, and you know. Yeah, I got nothing for for them. But um yeah, I so who do you expect to win the Pac twelve I'm the Pac twelve tournament, Ralph? We oh, we uh talked man. about it on the last pot pot podcast where I said yeah. that whoever gets the buy because um <laughs> because we hadn't seen teams go on long winning streaks. But now we do have two teams with three game. Well, I you you would need a four game winning streak if you don't have uh, a first round bye. So, but the only team that has a, a five game winning streak in conference right now is Arizona State. 
They've won five straight games. Okay, so let me just come out and say, not them. <laughs> they were. <laughs> they're not. They're not. I can't. All I can do is point out stuff that I see wrong with all how flawed some of these teams are at the top. First of all, I don't think Oregon's going to win the Pac-12 tournament. They play with fire way too much. Way too much. The fact that Oregon won the game against Colorado was nuts. Like, that was the first time that I felt like, all right, Oregon won a game that they probably should have lost. They've lost a few that they should have won. Uh, and then, and then you know, USC point guard play, not great. Um, but they're super talented. And I feel like maybe they have the best chance, but then I watch teams consistently beat them when they're they that they should be more competitive and they should be good i love the defense that they play especially in the second half uh but their offense is just horrid sometimes and so i feel like okay so it can't be them um arizona state just isn't there talent wise they're not there consistency wise and we're talking about they just had their first back-to-back road wins you know, they they had their first road sweep. Would you expect them to go to the Pac-12 tournament and double that? No, it's not going to happen. So, and then, and then that leaves University of Arizona by far the most talented team. But then Sean Miller is their coach, and I don't trust him at all. So, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I can't, I'm sitting here saying no to everybody, but somebody has to win it. And so right now, and, and I mean, this is, this is putting way more, uh, of my chips in with Andy Enfield than I'd ever be comfortable doing. But I, <laughs> I feel like right now I, I'm, I, I like USC and we'll see there's five more, six more games for some of the teams uh, that they have to play. Um, so maybe I'll feel differently later on, but as of right now, if I had to pick anyone that I feel like matches up best and plays the best defense, um, I'm, I'm saying USC. But they got to make shots, and they haven't been doing that. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you there. I, I, dude, there's no more stressful thing than watching Oregon's men's basketball team win and want them and wanting them to win because every game's close. Just, oh, just every yeah. game's close. It's just unbelievable. Um, yeah, so I, I'll stick with what I said. Whoever, whoever finishes with the number one and number two seed, which are going to get buys. I think that they can win three straight games. Anybody else? No chance because they can't win four straight games. So so I'm going to. So right now, my picks are the same as last week, Oregon and Colorado. And then if Arizona slides in there, then I'll pick them. Arizona State slides in there, then I guess I'll pick them too. Yeah, but then I got to get I guess I got to I've been sleeping on Colorado. I'll admit it. I've, I, I am full on and I don't have, you know, I've got a reason for everybody else why I don't think they'll win. And for me that the Colorado is just, it's a talent issue. And so, you know, they're coached really, really well. They absolutely deserve to be where they're at right now. And I should be paying more attention to them and I should be heaping more praise on them. But for some reason I just can't. Okay. So is there any way that the PAC 12 wins the, the national championship this year? No, I don't think so. Um, I, what, what they really, 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 really need, what would be very important for this conference, you know, because there are other things that are more important than resources, George is to have a couple of teams, at least in the round of 32. And I think that that's feasible, but 
if you if if we're looking at this conference right now and having a hard time picturing a Pac-12 champion, like wrap your head around winning at all. Yeah. So, but but uh, but but Ralph, it's just good to be in the conversation, and you know, r- oh, resources, God. recruits. God, don't yeah. matter. Remember when Larry Scott? <laughs> remember when Larry Scott said it's better to be in a bowl game than to win it? Like <laughs> I, to, here, here is the here. Here's the truth, Ralph. I, I and I and I and I mean this with all my heart. I love the Pac-12, and I defend the Pac-12. I am at a point where I am I am losing like some of my fervorance. I'm losing some of my because they say things that are indefensible. Because, and, but George, is, George, that's because you can't just see the complexity of what they're trying to do. Call <laughs> me then then I may have to jump on the simple minded band train and I I see a scenario where the Pac-12 could break up. I mean, I if you're Oregon, you USC, don't you have to be looking at this or even UCLA or, you know, like who are the three biggest names in the conference right right now? And Stanford's really good in a bunch of sports, too. Like, don't you have to be considering like, uh, is there a better way right now? I mean, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, there we're going to get to a point at the end of next year because Oregon State's president is retiring, I believe, to where Gene Block of UCLA and Michael Crow are the only presidents who were there when Larry Scott was hired. You know, so you're going to have ten presidents probably knocking the door down to say like, "Hey, why are we standing by this guy just because you hired him?" Well, then take credit for the next guy you hire. If it's about <laughs> taking credit, then find another thing to take credit for. But there's a reason why CEOs of companies don't stay in place for forever. They come during times, then they leave. They're peacetime CEOs, wartime CEOs. Then there's a couple people who can do both. You need a wartime CEO right now. And Larry Scott's not a wartime guy. No. And I, you know, I made the joke about the whole complexity thing, but that, that's the thing to me that I just want to leave this podcast with pointing out the fact that, you know, people are frustrated with the PAC 12 about the money issue. Yeah. But that doesn't affect my day to day really. And it doesn't really affect your day to day. Uh, we see it in things like Mel Tucker leaving and Jamar Kane leaving and Tony white leaving and, and, you know, and, and, and other conferences being able to pay more for the same exact position and give more to assistance. We see that and we feel that pain, but for the most part, George, we just want to be able to watch these damn games on television. <laughs> and you yeah, and I were talking about this I shouldn't a million have to times. Fish around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or have to fish around, drive around to a bar, get there in the middle of the first quarter because the first two places we stopped at didn't have PAC 12 network. Then by the time that we get to bar three, that has PAC 12 network, other fans of other teams have already set up shop and they've already got the good TVs tuned to the games that they want to watch. You know, that that's, that's the life of a PAC 12 fan. That's the life of, uh, uh, the simpleton, the dissatisfied simpleton, you know, to them. Yeah. You know, it's not about resources. It's just about being able to turn the damn game on so that they can watch it and enjoy it. And that, and that's, you know, that's really what it is at its core. And so to insult those people for just wanting to be able to enjoy it 
when the person that you put in charge all those years ago hasn't done what he can to make sure that it's available to the most people. You know, the fact that the Pac-12 hasn't just given it away for free to anybody who wants it, the Pac-12 network, to then possibly renegotiate two years down the line, the fact that they haven't gone to those lengths to put this product in front of people yet is absolutely infuriating. But hey, you know, I just don't understand the complexity, I guess. Yep. Hey, you you are a simpleton just like me, apparently. Um, uh, two, two things of note before we jet out of here is um, um, Arizona State hired a new defensive analyst, former Oregon uh, safety slash Rover Canadian Football League player. But most importantly, he was like one of the people higher up at the opening and is a national recruiting guy. He knows every kid from around the country who is supposedly highest ranked in, you know, all the camps, local camps. So not only does he do the national camp, like the big, like the opening, he does all the regional ones too. And that's Michael Fletcher. He's now on Arizona State staff, which was huge. I mean, that's a get. I mean, that's like, that's a Dante Williams like get for Arizona State, which is doing a fabulous job recruiting. <laughs> yeah, Dante Williams. We brought him up in the last podcast and said, you know, he's going to go to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder ended up being USC, I guess. Yeah, I, I I read that his dad being sick has something to do with it, but we'll see. Um, and also, Oregon hired this guy named Coop, Cooper Pentaga uh, Pentagna. He was from the University of Washington, which is Washington fans can't be super excited about. Uh, he's they hired him as a recruiting analyst for the football program. And he was at Washington. And before Washington, he was at well, at Washington, he was director of player personnel. And they say he was instrumental in helping them sign their recruiting class. And mind you, for next year, there are a bunch of recruits out of the state of Washington that are super highly ranked Some and before favorites. that he was at michigan what'd you say ralph some of my favorite recruits are are, uh, are washington residents and so yeah it'll be really interesting to see how all that works itself out i will be at the uh under armor regional to see some of the recruits from the southwest uh coming up this sunday and then next week uh, the week after that, we might, you and I might actually have the opportunity to do a live in-person podcast. I'll be out in LA for three days for the Rivals Camp and Combine in LA. Okay, perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, well, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Um, please share with a friend, tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles and uh, shoot us an email if you want. We are going to be making some improvements to the podcast, making it even better, getting more content for you guys. Peace out. Catch you guys later.